Welcome to the Damascus Road Podcast. On the road to Damascus, Paul had a radical encounter with Jesus and his life was changed forever. That is what we hope and pray for here. Now, on to this week's episode. My name is Megan, um, but according to numerous reputable websites and internet quizzes, I might more aptly be called Belle, at least if I was a Disney princess. Now, I didn't just decide that I would probably be Belle because that would simply be wishful thinking and self-projection. I mean, who wouldn't want a giant library full of books and a beautiful dress? Instead, I left the decision up to the very knowledgeable and impartial third parties of BuzzFeed and Disney.com. And I had to answer many, many deep and insightful questions that cut to the core of my character. Questions like, which animal would lead your parade? This is some heavy stuff. I had to do some deep soul searching. I was torn between dragon and horse, um, but clearly I chose horse because otherwise you'd be calling me Mulan, not Belle. Not reductionistic at all. Side note, there was some minor outrage on teaching team that I chose horse over apparently the clearly superior dragon, which maybe you are also struggling with internally right now. Um, But I just don't know that giant fire-breathing lizards do it for me. Horses are so pretty. But I'm curious. I want to know which animal would lead your parade. So feel free to comment in the chat which animal would lead your procession down the streets. And apparently you can choose a dragon. Now, you may be wondering why I was so interested in which Disney princess I secretly am underneath this facade of peasantry. But to be frank, it wasn't exactly a deep, soul-burning question of mine, nor the puzzlement of an informed research project, nor the desire to more fully understand my human complexity. No, I was just bored. Maybe I was waiting for my online class to start. Maybe I was in the middle of my online class and phonemes and allophones weren't quite keeping my attention. But who am I kidding? That would never happen because linguistics is the best and never boring. Maybe I was eating my lunch and my tuna fish sandwich was just not quite holding my attention. Nor was the person who was sitting at the table with me. Maybe I was in line at the grocery store or procrastinating on my project or feeling anxious about all the things I needed to get done and knowing which Disney princess I secretly was would inspire me to whistle while I worked. Or most probably, my kids were just screaming in the background and I was trying to numb out the den and go to a happy place, a Disney place, where all the creatures or plates sing to you and help you. I was bored. I was suffering from, I'd rather be anywhere but here, whatever boring, unstimulating, stressful, uncomfortable, uninteresting place here is. And maybe you've done this before too. If so, feel free to share your secret Disney princess. Um, But this is where the magic of phones comes in because in a tiny little computer in your pocket, you can be anywhere but here. You can get lost in a world of internet memes or the rabbit holes of minimalism on YouTube or photos of people that you kind of know or sports updates for the off season of the riveting, maybe they will, maybe they won't trade Chris Bryant. You can discover the answer to any question like, which donut recipe makes the airiest and lightest Krispy Kreme knockoffs, which I tried last weekend. It was really great. You can check your bank account or go to the Middle East and the politics happening there or message a friend miles and miles away 
day or make a TikTok. Not that I know what that is or if I even use that phrase correctly. Phones are super cool and they lift us from the drudgery and the discomfort and the boredom of right here, right now. We become omnipresent beings surfing through the whole wide world of knowledge and connections, but also strangely disconnected from the one place we're actually at. And this is the new normal. So normal that leggings, which are inherently pocketless pants, are now made with phone-shaped pockets just so that you can never be without your phone. I have trouble finding pocketless leggings, which I feel like should not be that difficult but it is. There's special holders in our cars for our phones. There's special armbands you can wear while running to hold your phone. There's even little pop sockets that we can put on the back of our phones to make holding them with one hand easier while we do something else with our other hand. Because you know, God forbid we should ever set down our phone or be unable to instantly, easily, frequently be able to access it and escape from the horrible here and now. And you might be listening thus far and think, oh, Megan's being a little old granny-ish. Yes, I am an old granny, crocheting and all. But please don't hear that I'm just harping on phones and all oh, what the kids are doing these days. Phones are awesome. I'm so incredibly grateful for the technology that allows me to stay in contact with my friends, to call my mom and have my kids see her on Skype. I love that I can look up the recipe for brown butter sea salt chocolate chip cookies, which are as good as they sound, and listen to Sleeping at Last and learn about the difference between South American and African monkeys, which happens to be prehensile tales, in case you were wondering, and that I can ask Ryan where the cheapest place to get gas is, and he can look it up on his his phone and tell me. Phones are not bad. I am not talking about phones. What I'm talking about is what John Mark Comer calls hurried digital distraction. Now, this happens to often be made much easier by technology like our phones, but it is ultimately not about phones. It is ultimately about us, our heart conditions, what we're prioritizing. Phones didn't come up with pockets in our leggings. We did. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong about looking up donut recipes or scrolling through Instagram. But I have to ask if this new normal of hurried digital distraction is perhaps affecting us more than we realize. Are we searching for something more on our phones than just the score of the latest game? What are we looking for? when we pull out our phones and disconnect from the boring, uncomfortable here and now? Are our distracting solutions actually alienating us from what we are really longing for? Is our desire to disconnect from the present actually disconnecting us from something more? Are we searching for intimacy and comfort and joy and satisfaction in any place but here? But what if here is the only place it can really be found? Writers and thinkers across the globe are getting curious about the effect this connection to digital distraction is having on our hearts and minds and souls. And Comer asks a poignant question. I mean, how do we have any kind of spiritual life at all if we can't pay attention longer than a goldfish? Which, in case you were wondering, goldfish have an attention span of nine seconds. Guess how long our attention span is? In 2000, before the digital revolution, humans had an attention span of 12 seconds, a nice three-second lead. Um, unfortunately, now it's eight, so losing to goldfish. 
He continues, how do you pray, read the scriptures, sit under a teaching at church or rest well on the Sabbath when every chance you get, you reach for the dopamine dispenser that is your phone. And here's how he describes the spiral of digital distraction on our souls and lives long-term. We feel distant from God and end up living off somebody else's spirituality via a podcast feed or book or one page devotional we read before we rush out the door to work. We feel distant from ourselves. We lose sight of our identities and callings. We get sucked into the tyranny of the urgent, not the important. We feel this undercurrent of anxiety that rarely, if ever, goes away. The sense that we're always behind, always playing catch up, never done. And then we get exhausted. We wake up and our first thoughts are, already, I can't wait to go back to bed. We lag through our days, our low-grade energy on loan from our stimulants of choice. And even when we catch up on our sleep, we feel a deeper kind of tired. Then we turn to our escapes of choice. We run out of energy to do what's actually life-giving for our souls, like prayer. And instead we turn to the cheap fix, another glass of wine, a new show streaming online, our social media feeds, porn. We become easy prey for the tempter, just furthering our sense of distance from God and our souls. And then emotional unhealth sets in. We start living from the surface of our lives, not the core. We're reactionary. The smallest thing is a trigger, a throwaway line from the boss, a snide comment from a coworker, a suggestion from a spouse or roommate. It doesn't take much. We lose our tempers, bark at our kids, get defensive, sulk, feel angry or sad, often both. Is there part of you that feels like this? Distant from God, living off other people's spirituality, hurried, anxious, irritable, a little prickly, soul tired, disconnected from others, disconnected from yourself. This is a life of hurried digital distraction. And in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, that this series is based on, John Mark Comer writes, this new normal of hurried digital distraction is robbing us of the ability to be present. Which might not seem like a big deal on the surface. What is so great about the present? What connection does hurry and distraction and my digital engagement have to do with my anxiety or sense of disconnection or the deep soul tired I feel? Writer and Christian thinker C.S. Lewis gives us a glimpse. He writes about how the present is where time touches eternity. That the present is the experience here on earth that is most like heaven. The place where we see and feel and meet God and others. The place where all love, joy, and contentment, peace, and compassion are found. When we reach for our phones and stare at our laptops and binge through TV, we disconnect from the present. And in doing so, we're often also disconnecting from the place that touches God, the source of life and love itself. And I'm not saying that there's not reasons that we don't want to be here and now. Um, I'm not saying that the present is easy or that it gives you that fast hit of sugar and dopamine that you're craving or that it's not sometimes uncomfortable or even downright painful. But when we check out of the present, we end up missing God. 
And it's no wonder that when we're missing God, we're missing love and joy and life. Do you want to reclaim the present? Do you want to let go of the addiction to distraction and deal with what's here and now, even when it feels scary and uncomfortable and maybe even just a little bit boring? Are you ready to turn off the noise and be still to your own soul? Because it is in the quiet and the unhurried, undistracted present that we can meet God and experience what we've been deeply longing for. All right, so let's begin. We've got to start by talking about boredom. And boredom gets a bad rap these days, um, but it's not that much different than hunger. So hunger, in case you've never felt it, is a kind of uncomfortable feeling that encourages you to seek out food. And boredom is similar. Boredom is this uncomfortable feeling that encourages you to engage and be creative. But like acquiring food, engaging or being creative requires some upfront energy. Now with food, you can avoid this upfront energy cost by ordering takeout or hitting up fast food. And that's great every once in a while. I love myself some good old fashioned McDonald's. But the long-term effects on your wallet and waistline of ordering takeout for every meal of every day are not great. Well, in the short short term, you may be very satisfied with your delicious chicken nuggets, so hot and salty and made by no effort of your own. You will find that the accumulation of these small shortcuts over a lifetime will erode your health and flourishing and overall feeling of well-being. And boredom is similar. You can avoid the upfront energy cost of engaging and being creative by reaching for the digital shortcut in your pocket. It tastes like chicken nuggets to your brain, immediately pleasurable with no effort of your own. But just like with eating takeout every meal of every day, you will find your soul, your health, your relationships not feeling so good in the long term. And this is because the engagement and creativity that boredom is driving you towards is ultimately driving you towards good, nourishing, satisfying connection. I remember going to Oregano's with my family, you know, in those days of yore when going to restaurants was a thing humans did. And we had a 15 minute wait, not unusual when you're trying to seat like 15 people. So if you've ever been to Oregano's, we sat on those little benches under the misters on their front patio and people's butts had not yet made contact with the bench before every single person pulled out their phone and disconnected. Now, I'm not a particularly big phone user, as you may have noticed, if you've ever tried to get in contact with me. Um, My digital distraction vices lie elsewhere, like episodes and episodes of Fixer Ever, or rereading the Harry Potter series for the 17th time. Um, Not exactly easy to pull up right outside oregano's. But I remember being so baffled and hurt. I was like... I am literally a living, breathing human sitting next to you. I realize that I don't know everything and can't tell you about the latest baseball statistics nor entertain you with a funny video of squirrels. But am I so uninteresting that you can't even try to have a conversation with me? Like are my memories and experiences and feelings and the sum of my life not worth even one question? And even if you don't want to get to know me, I think you're interesting. Can I get to know you? 
In those 15 minutes of waiting, we could have practiced engagement and creativity. The small conversations and connections that add up over a lifetime to a well-fed soul and deep relationship. And whether or not we talked that one time outside of oregano's does not make or break my relationship with my family. Just like one happy meal is not gonna make or break your health. But what is the pattern? Is every moment of boredom instantly disconnected from? When you feel the discomfort of boredom, do you choose to engage and be creative or do you more often choose to distract? Could you go those 15 minutes waiting outside oregano's and not pull out your phone? Because there's people in the here and now, a living, breathing human right next to you, in line at the grocery store, eating across from you at your lunch break, on the couch next to you at your house, someone sitting at your dinner table. These people that are right here, right now in the present around you have lives and experiences and connection that matter. And your life and your experiences and your connection matters. Yes, it is easier to look at pretty pictures and to play Candy Crush than have a conversation. But which one do you think feeds your soul? Which one do you think has eternal value? Which one do you think makes a life worth living? It's not Candy Crush. And in boredom, when we reach for distraction, we're not just missing people, we're missing God. Jesus reminds us that the core of life is loving God and loving others. When we're bored, our soul is driving us to engage with God and others, to engage with this beautiful gift of life around us, to engage with our own creativity and personhood as image bearers of the creator. And we short circuit this pathway to love and life when we disconnect and choose the easy way out. When we're distracted, we check out of the present, but that's where God is. In the book of Exodus, we see this incredible encounter with God that changes the course of history. Um, so there's a man named Moses, who's a shepherd, and he leads his flock of sheep far out into the wilderness near a mountain. And in this lonely, solitary place, Moses notices something, a bush on fire. And here's what scripture says. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go and see it. And I want to pause here because we might miss it. Do you know how long it takes a live bush to burn up? Um, about 20 minutes, depending on the size of the bush. Maybe this was a small bush, but either way, Moses had to be watching those bush for let's say at least 10 minutes to be able to notice that it was not burning up. The bush probably was not very remarkable in the first minute or even the first five minutes or the first seven minutes. It was just a bush on fire. But Moses kept paying attention. Moses stayed in the present. Moses didn't whip out his iPhone and text his brother about this crazy burning bush he saw or start looking up how to prevent forest fires or take a selfie with it. Hashtag this place is lit. He stared. He watched. And the interest and amazement came from paying attention and remaining engaged because by sticking with the mundane and boring, he noticed something profound and awe-inspiring. 
your choice to stay in the present and not disengage might not seem particularly interesting or meaningful in the first five minutes or the first 10 minutes or the first 20 minutes. But people are deeper than you think. God is more present than you realize. By sticking with it and not distracting Moses' awakened curiosity, he says, why isn't that bush burning up? Why is this part of your story? Why do I feel this way? Why am I anxious? What is this anger about? What is God up to right now? And then I must go and see it. Moses engages, and when he does, he meets the living God. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. And it is the beginning of a lifelong relationship with God, a totally changed life. But looking at this, um, I want you to notice, God doesn't usually shout at us. God waits for us to take a closer look. Do you have space to be bored? Is there room for you to stare, to pay attention? Can you stick with something for five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes before distracting? Is your attention span a little shorter than a goldfish? What amazing things are right in front of you that you're missing because you can't stay present long enough to experience it. If you are struggling with feeling distant from God, I promise you that it is not because God is distant from you. He's right there in the burning bush, in the face of your classmate, in the wine of your child, in the walk around your neighborhood, in the sandwich that you're eating, waiting for you to take a closer look. It is in the hush, the stillness, the sustained attention that he will call out to you. I love the story of Elijah in the cave. Elijah is depressed and heartbroken and needing reassurance from God. And so God passes by. Here's what happens. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. Scholars say that the sound of a gentle whisper might be better translated from the Hebrew as a sound of sheer silence. When's the last time your life was silent? No phone pinging or vibrating, no laptop humming, no TV in the background, no headphones in your ears, no children screaming. <laughs> Has it been a while? Has God been passing you by, but the roar and noise in your life and hurry and distraction drowns him out? In the New Testament, God also passes by. Jesus, walking on the water in the middle of the night after sending the disciples ahead of him. 
the book of Mark tells us that Jesus intended to go past the disciples, to pass them by, but they notice him. And they thought he was a ghost, which is understandable. It's the middle of the night and people don't usually walk on water. But because the disciples are paying attention, they notice him and they cry out as he passes by. And instead of passing them by, Jesus changes his mind. He gets in the boat with them and he says, don't be afraid, I am here. I wonder how often we miss God passing by and miss the comfort of his presence, his reassurance of do not be afraid I am here simply because we aren't looking, because we're too distracted to lift up our heads, because our world is too noisy to hear a whisper. Like Megan talked about last week, if we want to stop running into the shallow life and the malaise that our souls feel, we have to do something different. If we want to experience the rich, abundant, satisfying life of Jesus, we have to lay down our way and do life Jesus's way. If our way currently holds a lot of hurried digital distraction, a lot of noise and input and scrolling, we might have to do something different because I'm gonna be upfront. Jesus's way of life did not include a lot of Candy Crush. What did Jesus do? What habits and practices did Jesus rely on to slow down his life, to pay attention, to embrace boredom, to be quiet long enough to engage with God and with others? Well, right before he passed by on the water in this story in Mark, Jesus was actually in the middle of one of the habits he built his life around. One of the habits that if we build our lives around too, we'll begin to reshape and stretch our souls. Jesus had gone to a solitary place. Um, So the word translated as solitary place is eremos in the Greek, and it has a lot of possible definitions. Desert, deserted place, desolate place, solitary place, lonely place, quiet place, wilderness. Um, And looking at these, I think living in Tucson, we're probably set. You know, we're literally in the desert. We are in the Eremos all the time. A holy city indeed. No, um, that's not exactly what this is saying. That's not what this practice of the Eremos was, not just moving to Tucson. Where else does Jesus go to the Eremos? Um, So right after being baptized at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus spends 40 days in the desert being tempted by the devil. And that word desert where Jesus goes to be tempted is Eremos. When Jesus goes to lonely places to pray in the gospels, that's the word eremos. When Jesus withdraws to the desolate place to rest in the gospels, that's the word eremos. Over and over, Jesus returns to the eremos, the lonely place, the quiet place, as a habit and practice that grounds and centers him. And what the eremos really encapsulates is the practice of silence and solitude. Lonely place, a place without others, a place to be alone, solitude. Quiet place, a place without noise, a place without distraction, silence. The Eremos is the place of silence and solitude for Jesus. And over and over and over throughout the gospels, it is to the Eremos, to the habits of silence and solitude that Jesus returns to. Shockingly, 
Jesus seems to intentionally be building boredom into his life instead of running from it, intentionally having long stretches of nothing to do and no way to distract. He creates more opportunity for boredom in his life rather than less. And this is because boredom is the uncomfortable feeling that drives us to engage and be creative. Without distraction, that discomfort of boredom forces us to engage with God and with ourselves. In the lonely place, in the quiet place, Jesus has room and space and quiet and boredom enough to engage with God. Both Moses and Elijah also encountered God in lonely places, in the Aramos, in the wilderness, in a mountain, in a cave. But what's different between their lives and Jesus's is that Jesus is so incredibly intentional about not just happening upon an Aramos, but structuring his life around having a dedicated Aramos space. Whenever Jesus does a lot of busyness, working and healing and teaching and feeding, he retreats to silence and solitude. Whenever Jesus is not busy, before he starts any ministry at all and has only ever been baptized, he retreats to silence and solitude. Silence and solitude are core to the way that Jesus does life. And he models how silence and solitude should be core to our way of life too. Not the things that we run from and flee from and avoid at all costs. Follow me, he says, do life my way. My way is the life of silence and solitude. So what is your Eremos? Do you have an Eremos space in your life currently? So the Eremos can be a literal physical location that is quiet and alone for you, or this kind of like bigger concept of space for boredom, where you intentionally do not reach for your phone or distract with any other thing that you rely on. Um, In my life, my phone goes to bed at around 6 p.m., Once dinner starts, I plug in my phone downstairs and I do not check it again until I come down for breakfast the next day. It is a metaphorical Eremos for me, leaving space for boredom and presence to God and my children and my husband in the evening together. And as a literal physical Eremos, I currently have two in the limited scope of my house because that's where I am these days. The first one is on my made bed. I love our bed. It is amazing and home to so many happy things. Snuggles with my babies, rest, sleeping, soft blankies, sex. It's a really good spot. And our bed is under this giant window. So I like to make our bed and then I sit on it facing the window and I drink in the silence of God. It is a happy place, alone and quiet. And... um. When I can't abandon our children and lock them out of my bedroom, my second Eremos is outside on our porch in my rocking chair. Yes, I am an old granny. It is less alone, but still quiet. And the kids can entertain themselves in the dirt. And I can listen to the birds and my heart beating and be quiet in my soul with God. I think growing up, I thought silence and solitude sounded really dreary and depressing. Like, I have to be alone and dead silent. That sounds awful and lonely. But it feels more like coming up for air or right after a really good stretch. It feels like the sun. It feels so good to stop 
and be quiet and wake up to the present gift right here, right around me. It's what helps me feel deeply connected to God and to others, to have a peaceful soul, to love well. And not only does Jesus model this way of life to us, he personally invites us to the Eremos with him. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And I recognize that our lives look different and the demands of our schedules and times look different. What works for me may not work for you. But I also know that whatever your stage of life and season and limits, Jesus centered his life around the Eremos, around silence and stillness with God. And the busier and more demanding his life got, the more often he rested in the Eremos. The news about Jesus spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. And Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Silence and solitude are not a when I have time sort of practice. They are a life grounding and life centering practice that alters the way we do everything else. The busier life gets, the more we need silence and solitude because silence and solitude is connection to life and love itself to God. And yes, there are a thousand reasons why you don't have time and why that doesn't work for you. I'm a full-time mom. I have a demanding job that starts early. I'm an extrovert. I have ADHD. I'm taking classes and working and doing an internship. I'm just not wired that way. But I wanna ask you, do you feel tired? Do you feel disconnected? Do you feel drained? Do you feel low-grade anxious and depressed? Maybe the way you've been doing life is not producing the life you want. Maybe it's time to let go of your way and try something different. So if you are ready to try silence and solitude, yay, I am so excited for you. Let's do this together. Um, there are two kinds of silence. There's external and internal. And we're gonna start with the easy one first, the external. So external silence is the noise around you. I resonate strongly with the Grinch and how the Grinch stole Christmas. All oh, the noise, 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 noise. There's a lot of noise in my house. I have small children and they scream a lot. Um, but sometimes my soul is just crying out for silence. Please, no more noise. Anything but noise. And there's a lot of noise. Podcasts, music, TV, your phone, work, your kids, your chatty roommate, the Roomba running. Again, these things aren't inherently bad. My children are wonderful. Um, it's just what the noise does to our souls long-term and the space that they remove to hear any whispers. Comer tells us, in fact, C.S. Lewis and his masterwork of satire, The Screwtape Letters, has the demons railing against silence as a danger to their cause, the ruin of a Christian soul. Senior demon Screwtape calls the devil's realm a kingdom of noise and claims we will make the whole universe a noise in the end. Music and podcasts and TV are not bad, but they can easily be used as noise to cover up our discomfort with others, God, and ourselves. Which brings us to that second kind of silence, the internal silence. Um, usually we are relying on external noise to cover up our internal noise. 
And it is the internal noise that often makes us scared of the Eremos. What happens when you turn everything off and you sit in silence? Does your brain immediately start running? Your internal monologue suddenly revs up. Unprocessed feelings surge forward. You cycle through hurts, worries, to-do lists, conversations you wish you had had or wish you didn't have, that thing your friend said, what that person thought of you, how much money is in your bank account, the job you need to apply for, whether or not you're going to end up alone. This is the internal noise. And this is what most of us are avoiding when we shy away from silence. And I get it. It is crappy stuff. Um, I don't often want to sit in the disorder of my own mind for very long and examine all the feelings and hurts and things that I'd rather not think about. It's easier to just drown it out with the office or scroll through Instagram or playing Legends of Zelda. But this is the real work of silence. Your soul is like this deep pool of water. And first, you have to stop chucking rocks into the pool and agitating all the water. It just ripples and swirls and the water gets dirty from all the mud and crud getting stirred up. So you have to stop chucking rocks in. Turn off the noise. Turn off the distractions. And then it's waiting. You're waiting in the silence and the mud is still swirling and you can see all of the ick and nothing settled or calm. But the longer you sit, the longer you wait in stillness, the more calm the waters become. The more it settles, the mud falls to the bottom and the water becomes cool and clear and life-giving. In this place of stillness and silence, we encounter God. Jesus talks about remain in me and I will remain in you. Um, But it is hard to remain if we won't pay attention, if we won't stop distracting. Jesus says, abide in me and I will abide in you. And that word abide comes from the word abode, home. Home is a place of shelter and rest and calm and joy. We find our homes in Jesus, our souls resting in him. When we give our souls the space and quiet it needs to just be at home. So for the sakes of our lives and souls, for the love of others and the love of God, let's be quiet. And there are two really simple ways to do this. First, turn something off. This is the easy one, shutting off that external noise. But like we talked about, there's a reason that you want the noise um, because it's uncomfortable and you're stuck with yourself when it's off. So I understand why this is actually really hard, but I want to encourage you. Lent started this past Wednesday and Lent is the season anticipating and looking forward to Easter. Traditionally during Lent, Catholics give up eating meat, Um, but there's also this more general practice of just giving up something in order to create space and longing for God. And I want you to consider one source of noise that you would be willing to give up for Lent. Maybe it's listening to music while you drive in the car. Maybe it's listening to podcasts while you work or clean or walk. Maybe it's having the TV on the background. Maybe it's Spotify always going. Or maybe it's the big one, your phone. Okay, before you freak out, I am not saying for all of Lent to never use your phone. Um, I know some of you are having like minor panic attacks right now. But what if during Lent, you maybe like, 
went grocery shopping without your phone. I know, I know, scandalous. What if you had to look something up? What if someone texted you? What if you needed to call your roommate to find out if your milk was rancid? What if you had to wait in line? These are big challenges. Um, But I believe that with some intentionality and careful prying of your fingers off of your obsession, you could maybe do it. You could even write down your grocery list on a piece of paper. Shocking, I know. And if you aren't willing to give up your phone for the half hour a week it takes you to do grocery shopping, think about that. What stronghold does it have over you? Why does it make you so uncomfortable and slightly panicked to leave it behind? What fears and insecurities and soul stuff is going on beneath that? So if you're not willing to leave your phone at home while you grocery shop during Lent, at least examine why you are not willing to do that. So I decided to give up TV for Lent this year because as I've confessed before, TV is my digital distraction. And I know that I turn to it when I feel anxious or upset or stressed out. And I want to make space in my life for me to make different, more healthy choices. I want to make space for boredom that then drives me to engage and be creative. And I'm really sad because Great British Baking Show is my jam before bed. I dream about brownies all night. Um, So I know that it's going to be an awkward couple of nights trying to find this new habit and rhythm at bedtime with my fingers like twitching towards the remote. But I also know that the silence will be good for me and good for my soul, that the boredom will drive me to engage and be creative instead of distract. So that's the first thing, turn something off. The second thing that you can do to begin recentering your life around silence and solitude like Jesus is to set aside an airmost time or an abiding time, whatever word like clicks with you. Henry Nouwen reminds us, without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and listen to him. Pick an Eremos or make one if you don't have one you like. Set up a chair in the corner of your room. Make your bed and sit on it. Dedicate the bathroom to you and God. Choose a walk or a park nearby that you love. Make the car your Eremos. Have your bedroom be a sacred space where your phone does not follow you at night. Whatever works for you that feels distinct, lonely, set apart, quiet, holy. And then choose a time that you let your soul come home and rest. Now, silence can feel really strange at first, just like any new thing that you try, but don't let that discourage you. It might feel dreary and depressing at first. It did for me, just as I feared. Um, But the more you practice, the better you'll get, as I tell my sons all the time. Update, if you heard my previous message where I was talking about Aiden complaining about getting dressed, my son Aiden can now put on his clothes based on consistent and regular practice despite all of his despair and I can't do it, mommy, and hating his life. Now he feels so proud and good about himself putting on his own clothes. And it's not like he suddenly magically got amazing at it. He consistently and intentionally practiced every single day putting on his clothes. 
it will feel awkward and weird at first and probably boring and like a waste of time, but that's totally normal. You haven't done it wrong. Just keep practicing. Don't stop. And do you remember all of that internal noise that we talked about? Um, just as a heads up, that is generally what bubbles up first when you finally go to your airmos and be quiet. It is normal to feel anxious, to have a lot of those negative feelings that you've been avoiding or pushing down surface, to feel jittery like you should be doing something else. It's like coming off the drug of hurry. You've got the shakes, but it's okay. Just because you feel anxious or are dealing with your negative emotions does not mean that you're doing it wrong. In fact, it means you're doing it right. Um, And it doesn't mean that it's not good for you. And that's actually one of the beauties of the Eremos is it actually gives your heart and soul space to feel the things that you haven't been letting it feel because it's inconvenient or painful or upsetting. The Eremos is a safe space to be honest and vulnerable with yourself and God. Become used to silence and it's a process. Stick with it. Get curious like Moses. I must take a closer look. And ultimately, the silence is not about doing anything. John Mark Comer says it's more resting than working, more about not doing than doing, subtraction, not addition. You can pray if you want, or you can just sit there and look at the dust motes. You can enjoy your coffee and notice how it tastes. Cry, feel angry, focus on your breathing or your steps. Let your soul come home and rest and lay your head in God's lap and let him stroke your hair. For me, I like to abide first thing in the morning while laying in bed before the children awake. And I also like to do it as part of my bedtime routine. Now that I'm not going to be watching Great British Baking Show at night, I will probably have much more abiding time. So I'll keep you guys posted. Um, And occasionally, if the children have been particularly noisome during the day, we stop and we have some abiding time in the middle of the day on the porch for me to recenter and quiet my soul while the kids like build forts out of twigs and bricks. Pick whatever time and space works for you to abide, to visit the Eremos, and then just stick with it. Maybe commit to doing it all through Lent, just like committing to turning something off. Silence and solitude are a habit and a practice, and it gets easier and more natural the more you practice it. So stick with it. Don't give up. Keep quieting. Keep looking. Keep staying in the present and being with God. You got this. So this isn't an overnight life-changing practice. Um, Just like eating one salad won't revolutionize your health. Um, It's developing a new pattern and a new way of doing life, a reorientation, a restructuring. But with consistent, intentional reorientation and restructuring your life around the Aramis with God, your life will be transformed. And you'll notice that there will become this turning point, maybe a month in, maybe a couple months in, maybe a year in, when you will start to crave it. Your soul is made for God. 
Your soul aches and longs for a relationship with the source of life and love. Your soul is meant to abide in Jesus, to come home in him. And in silence and solitude, we let ourselves encounter God right here, right now, and the beautiful gift that is this life. I know that it's easy to run, that it's easy to distract, and that it's difficult to embrace the Aramos, but I promise you that it's worth it and that it will provide the deep satisfaction that you ache for and you scroll for everywhere else and aren't finding. So I want to invite you. Let's turn off the noise together. Let's settle into the Eremos and discover the joy and gift of God himself. Let's pray. God, um, I thank you for modeling life for us and for showing us what what a satisfying life looks like, God. Um, As we're trying to do it and we're trying our best, God, um, but what we've been doing thus far isn't working. Thank you for modeling for us the Eremos. This practice of boredom, of getting away, of turning off the noise and just being and being alone with you and being alone with ourselves, God. Um, I ask for courage as we step into silence and solitude, Lord, and recognizing that the beginning is the hardest is that's where all of the internal noise that we've been shutting down for decades of our life come bubbling up, Lord. And I ask for your grace as we sit in that. Um, I ask for courage to stick with it and stay with it, even though it's uncomfortable and painful, God. Um, I ask that we pay attention to you passing by, Lord, that we stay in the moment in the present and don't distract. Thank you, God, for being so good to us and for giving us peace and a place to come home in you. We love you, God. Amen. Thank you for joining the Damascus Road podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus together by being with God, loving everyone, transforming people, developing leaders, growing new ministries, and changing the world. You can find out more about us online at damascusroadtucson.com.